Good morning, everyone. How are you? How's the summer going? You don't know? Anybody uh, start school yet? A few families started, a couple in the first service. I heard a child came home from school this week, and mom said, what'd you learn in school? He burst into tears and said, apparently not enough. I got to go back tomorrow. <laughs> and that was one of our college students, which was kind of weird, you know. Re-entry is hard for everybody, but uh, it's good to be back. Why don't you go ahead and open your Bibles with me this morning to the New Testament, to Luke chapter 6. And today uh, we're starting a series called Two Ways to Live. And uh, in that series we're going to be looking at what's referred to in Scripture as the fruit of the Spirit. And, you know, the reason, uh, the reason I've chosen uh, to do this study is because over the, over the last few months... Uh, there have been a, a number of significant cultural shifts uh, that have taken place in our, in our nation that I think make it painfully clear the era of Christian consensus has ended. We now live in a secular society, society fully adrift on the sea of moral relativism. And uh, a lot of Christians have been publicly voicing their displeasure you know, for where we find ourselves today and expressing disdain toward those they blame for bringing us here. Uh, but it seems to me that rather than, rather than pointing our fingers at others, perhaps we in the church um, need to evaluate the role that we've played in what some refer to as America's cultural disintegration. Uh, in his book, Renaissance, uh, The Power of the Gospel, However Dark the Times, Christian author and thinker Oz Guinness discusses some of the, um, some of the current issues and challenges facing the Western church and one of the things that he, he suggests we do first and foremost as Christians is that we do some honest self-assessment. He writes this, he says, for, as a for a generation now, Christian leaders and writers have liberally sprinkled their speeches, sermons, and books with phrases such as making a difference, transforming culture, changing the world. But for every thousand who have used the phrases as self-evident, there have been few who asked whether such change was actually happening and why and how they believed it could. In other words, a lot of Christians talk about making a difference in their world, in their culture, in their community, and are quite optimistic about their impact on it, but rarely do they look at the evidence to determine whether they're actually having an impact, spiritually speaking. According to Guinness, there are pessimists who say, for all the talk among Christians, the highly touted world change is simply not happening. And there's a lot of reasons for that. But Guinness suggests that as Christians, we bear some of the responsibility. He says, all too often we've set out high, clear statements of the authority of the Bible, but flout them with lives and lifestyles shaped more by our own sinful preferences and by modern fashions and convenience. All too often we've attacked the evils and injustices of others while we've condoned our own sins, turned a blind eye to our own vices, and lived captive to materialism and consumerism in ways that contradict our faith. You get what he's saying, right? He's essentially, Guinness is saying that before we blame uh, our cultural woes on anything or anyone else, we in the church, as followers of Jesus, should first look at ourselves and our own lives and how we're living in the midst of that culture. Uh, early on in his relationship with his disciples, Jesus was out in the countryside with them, walking and talking about life, life in our world, uh, and describing for them two ways to live. He talked about love versus hate, uh, generosity versus greed, uh, servanthood versus selfishness, forgiveness versus bitterness, mercy versus judgmentalism. 
And as they were walking and talking about these things, Jesus noticed some fruit trees out in the field. And uh, he summarized his lesson for his followers this way in verse 43 of the chapter. He says, he says to them, hey, you guys know as well as I do. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People don't pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. Now, because Jesus describes two different kind of trees, the two adjectives he uses are significant. Um, the Greek term for good here refers to that which is intrinsically useful uh, in accordance to something's creative purpose. In other words, this kind of goodness indicates that something is doing what it's meant to do. It's not defective. Uh, the term also carries the idea of moral excellence. Uh, in contrast, the Greek term Jesus uses for bad refers to that which is corrupt, rotten, intrinsically useless, in a figurative sense, immoral, unhealthy, unwholesome. And so basically Jesus says uh, to Peter and John and the rest of the guys, he says, look, a tree will produce the kind of good, healthy, useful fruit it's meant to produce. A bad tree will produce that which is rotten, unhealthy, and useless. Thorn bushes don't grow figs. Briars don't grow grapes. And you know, look, I'm not a farm guy. Uh, I know very little about fruit trees, but uh, even for me, I can understand this. I, mean, I, I can get this because it's pretty basic, right? I mean, the idea is that when it comes to production, it's the tree that determines the fruit, and it's the visible fruit that verifies the tree. Simply put, you can tell the inside by the outside. Apple trees produce apples. Coconut trees produce coconuts. Peach trees, peaches, right? You get the point. Here's the deal. I, I mean, I think we all realize that, that Jesus wasn't lecturing on horticulture, was he? He was talking uh, to people. He was talking about people, people like us. In fact, he offers this general application. He says in verse 45, he says, hey, you know, the good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. And again, the idea is that you can tell the inside of something by the outside, which is true, Jesus says, not only of trees, but of people. We do who we are. And what's interesting uh, here is that in this second statement, uh, Jesus uses two new terms for good and bad. Uh, the term he uses here for good refers to character, uh, to things that are morally honorable. In fact, it's the adjective often used in Scripture of God, who is by nature perfectly good. That being the case, and given the fact Jesus calls us to be like our Father in heaven, it's reasonable to restate Jesus' comment this way. The good godly person brings good godly things out of the good godliness stored up in his or her heart. Again, in contrast, the term for bad that Jesus uses here refers to that which is worthless and evil. Uh, it denotes the kind of evil that, that causes pain and sorrow, uh, division and destruction representing the very opposite of, of good, godly things, such as love, mercy, generosity, grace, and forgiveness. Jesus says the evil person brings evil things out of the evil in his or her heart, the evil that brings pain and sorrow and division and destruction. And he says, and not only that, but out of the overflow of his or her heart, their mouth speaks. Here's my Reiki summary. Just, just as over time, uh, good trees produce good fruit, so over time, our lives reveal who we really are, good or bad, godly or evil, disciples or deceivers, followers or phonies, Christians or not. I think it's worth noting here how Jesus stresses this idea 
by referring to the heart. You see, just like uh, today, people in the ancient Near East considered the heart to be the core of a human being, and Jesus knew that. And so he says, you know, it's out of the heart, it's out of the core of who you are on the inside that your attitudes and your behaviors and your words overflow. The implication being that any genuine long-term change regarding the external stuff has to come from change that takes place internally at the core, at the heart of our very being. And to better understand this whole heart thing, uh, let me give you a quick heart lesson, heart history, if you will. Back at the dawn of humanity, God created man and woman in his image. And in Genesis 1, God said, and when he was done, he says, man, what I have created is good. It's really good. In fact, when the Greeks translated the Old Testament, the term they used is the same term that Jesus uses in verse 43. Good meaning intrinsically useful in accordance to purpose, morally excellent, and so forth. So in other words, uh, human beings were created good. However, the intrinsic goodness went bad when man and woman rebelled against God and tasted what Scripture refers to as the fruit of the tree of good and evil. And uh, just so you know, the term the Greeks used in Genesis for evil, same word Jesus uses that means worthless, evil that causes pain and sorrow and division and destruction, thus reflecting the opposite of God-likeness. And I don't know, man, maybe it's just me, but um, I find this very fascinating, all this fascinating. If you think about it, the terms tree and, and fruit and good and evil, all the imagery that Jesus uses here can be traced all the way back to creation. And I can't say for sure that Jesus had the events of Genesis 1 and 2 in mind, but I think it's highly likely because in some ways it's a summary of our, of our human condition, right? In Genesis 1 and 2, what God created was intrinsically good, went corrupt, it turned evil. But now Jesus was saying, because of, Jesus says because of him, because of the grace of God, it's possible for what is evil to become good and godlike again. Are you following with me? Are you following that? In short, ever since rebellion in Eden, as human beings, we've inherited a core problem. We're sinful creatures. All of us, man, our hearts, are, Scripture says our hearts are deceitfully wicked. And un until the heart is transformed by the grace and power of God, we'll never exhibit authentic goodness and godliness. I mean, sure, you know, we may do a few good things now and then, but the kind of consistent, radical, good and godly life that Jesus calls his followers to is possible uh, is impossible without a supernatural internal change taking place. Uh, has that change happened for you? You say, well, I don't, I don't know for sure. I, don't, I, don't, I really don't know. Well, Jesus says you can tell. You can tell because who you are on the inside will be re revealed by what you do on the outside. It's interesting, <clears throat> sometimes when I talk to people about certain decisions or behaviors that they, they've, decisions they made, behaviors they've been involved with that haven't been particularly helpful for them, to say the least. Uh, they'll say things like, well, you know, okay, it's true, I stole the money, but it's not like I'm a thief. And I would think Jesus would disagree with that. I think he would say, look, if you steal, you're a thief. If you cheat on a test, it's because you're a cheater. If you commit adultery, it's because you're an adulterer. If you talk behind people's back, it's because you're a gossip. If you grumble, it's because you're a grumbler. When people lie, it's because they're liars. On the other hand, when you give sacrificially to others, it's because you're generous. If you encourage others around you, it's because you're an encourager. When you tell the truth, it's because you're honest. 
When you treat others with kindness, it's because you're kind. You see, good things are produced by good people. Evil things come from evil people, like apples, grapes, briars, and thorns. We all consistently produce on the outside who we are, what we are on the inside. That's, and that's the general application of, of Jesus' teaching here, but we can't leave it in, terms, in, you know, in general terminology. So let's, con- let's consider the more practical and personal side of things, because understand, you know, with these comments, Jesus wasn't uh, explaining this spiritual reality as something merely academic, something for us to, you know, lecture on, write a book about, discuss, and pack away for future use. No, Jesus uses this analogy as a way to call his followers to, to spiritual self-assessment and personal evaluation. That's why he uses the analogy. So with that in mind, here are some questions we probably need to ask ourselves. The first and most pressing question is this. Who am I? Who am I? And if we hope to answer the question, we, ha- we, you know, we have to take a long, hard look at ourselves. You know, if we ever hope to get a, a, a grip on our true identity, we have to ask the question, we have to answer it. Today's superficial culture yeah, you ask someone that kind of question, or when people think about who am I, we place so much uh, emphasis on career-type categories and tend to ignore inside character. Do you know what I mean? Th- because we're quick to think of ourselves as, well, I'm a salesperson. I'm a manager. I'm a clerk. We, you know, we're teachers, accountants, doctors, nurses, homemakers, coaches, consultants, pastors, parents, students, or we you know, identify ourselves by some other vocational category. But see, those things don't reveal anything about who you are as a human being, who you are on the inside. And that's really the issue. The issue isn't what I do for a living. The issue is how do I live? The issue is who am I really? Look, we've been created, all of us, by God to reflect his goodness. But sin has tainted us. It's ruined us. Sticking with Jesus' fruit analogy, we've been infected with a nasty, destructive internal disease that's corrupted our core and made our fruit bad, rotten, intrinsically worthless. We're, We're sick. I mean, it's crazy and sad what sin has done to us as individuals, as people, um... You know, what was once declared by God to be so very good has gone so bad. We're sinners, corrupt to the heart, to the very core of our being. You know, and when, when we should do good, we often do bad. When we know what's right, we tend to do wrong. And as hard as we try and try and change, nothing seems to work. And I, I just, I really appreciate the honesty of the Apostle Paul in this because as he was looking at his own life, he admits to the church, he writes to the church, he says, look, I don't understand what I do sometimes. For what I want to do, I don't do. But what I hate, that's what I do. As it is, it's no longer I myself who do it, but it's sin living in me. He says, for I know that good itself doesn't dwell in me. That is in my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what's good, but I can't carry it out. For I don't do the good I want to do. No, the evil I don't want to do, that's what I keep on doing. And as you hear his words, you get a sense of Paul's, his struggle as a human being. It's a struggle we all have. And you get a sense of the frustration he had of, by what sin had done to him. And I'm just really glad he wrote these words because I get frustrated by what sin has done to me. And so to answer the question, who am I? 
requires we each take a long, hard look inside. I mean, we've got to recognize that what God originally intended to be good has gone terribly bad. And it's only when we see that, when we begin to understand the truth of it, and to be honest about it, we'll be able to answer the next question, who do I want to become? I mean, if you could be everything you wanted to be, what would you be? What would you be like? Different people answer differently. You know, some people may like the way they are, really don't want to change, even if for, on some level they realize it's, it's short of what God originally intended for them. But here in our text, Jesus was talking to his followers, you know, those who recognized their brokenness, and they knew, look, they knew they needed to change on the inside in order to change on the outside and mirror their Father in heaven and produce good fruit. They knew it because they had tried religion, and religion is all about you trying hard to change, to be good enough, to be generous enough, all these things. Religion is about you trying hard to do it. And the Jewish people of the first century Many of them were just beaten down by it. They had given up. They had given up on God. And they knew, they knew that in order for the outside to change, there had to, something had to happen inside. Yet in practical everyday terms, what, what, is, what, is, what does this all look like? What does God-like fruitfulness look like? Well, what's really helpful is that while Jesus uh, introduced this fruit analogy, uh, in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul picks up on it, and he elaborates on it. And in a letter to the church, he actually compares bad fruit with good fruit. You know, he writes about that which is produced by our sin nature and what is produced by the Spirit of God in our lives. And he, sa he says this, he, said, he says, bad fruit, he goes, that's easy, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Now, that's, that's quite a list, isn't it? <laughs> and what's interesting about it is that Paul seems to place these sins, this, this bad fruit, if you will, in categories, which probably reflects his background in Judaism. Uh, Jewish religious teachers often kept track of sins by category, and uh, whether or not that's Paul's intention, who knows for sure, but the list does seem to break out into logical groupings, four of them to be exact. And I don't want to spend a whole lot of time detailing the particulars and the various nuances of each of these, because many of them speak for themselves. But just to be sure we understand what Paul is talking about here, let me give you the category and then a brief description of each of the terms listed, okay? Paul says, bad fruit, that's easy. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. And by, by the way, obvious not in the sense that they're all committed publicly. Some are, some aren't. He, but he's just saying that the things he's about to list, we all know, do not originate with the Spirit of God. Okay? So he says the first category is this, sexual sin. He lists sexual immorality, which refers to any sexual relationship outside the marital commitment between a husband and wife. It's about promiscuous behavior. Impurity is translated, literally translated, dirty. And it was a term applied in the first century to sexual perversion that was particularly present within Greco-Roman culture, including acts of rape, homosexuality, incest, and bestiality. And he adds to that debauchery, which refers to more to the reckless and shameless nature of those acts, which is why the terms are connected. Second category, religious sins, those common to paganism. Idolatry, described the worship of idols and false deities, but it extends to anything that we as human beings love, fear, serve, or desire more 
than God himself. And for us today, it includes things like career, money, possessions, leisure. He lists witchcraft, which describes not only those who are intrigued by the powers of darkness, but who submitted themselves to those powers and attempted to manipulate evil for their own selfish gain. Then the third category is what I'd call interpersonal or social sins. Those that destroy relationships, those that destroy community, healthy community. He lists hatred, a deep-seated enmity or ill will toward others because, because of race or nationality, education, economics, or unresolved conflict. Discord is the natural outcome of hatred. It's strife. It's a lingering animosity between people. Jealousy is about resenting what someone else has uh, that you don't, and it leads, to, it leads to feelings of bitterness, fits of rage. Uh, when he lists this, he's, he's not just talking about anger. You see, everybody gets angry, right? Anger is a natural human emotion, but this anger is on an inappropriate uh, and, and lingering level. You know, it represents outbursts of fury and venom and wrath, you know, hinging on uncontrollable, threatening, even, even, even violence. Selfish ambition, an attitude and approach to life and work that places personal gain above all else and comes at the expense of others including God. Um, dissensions are strong disagreements or quarrels in which people of opposing views refer, refuse, to, refuse to accept their differences and work through their differences and come to an amiable resolution. Factions are the divisions created among people because of the disagreements. Envy, the motivating desire to possess something earned by or awarded to somebody else. It's often revealed through twisted logic that cries all the time, it's unfair, it's unfair, it's unfair. And in our culture today, what's unfair is you have something I want and I don't get it. You know, if I can't have what you have, you shouldn't have it either. I mean, that's the heartbeat of American culture. And speaking of culture, the fourth category relates to cultural sins. Those prevalent in Greco, the Greco-Roman world, Paul lists drunkenness, which, understand, was not, was not about drinking wine, beer, or some other fermented beverage. It was about the excessive use and abuse of those things. It was about going out and just getting hammered drunk. He says it's wrong. It's, it's unhealthy. It leads to bad behavior. But what's interesting is in, in the first century pagan culture, people considered drunkenness as part of their worship experience. Did you know that? Many people worshipped this guy here, the Roman god known as Bacchus, also known by the Greeks as Dionysus, the god of wine. And this is a, this is a second century uh, BC wall sculpture of the deity. You can see the grapes are coming out of his hair and his beard is dripping wine. He's a little frightening, uh, to be honest about it. But this is, this is the deity that many people worshipped. And uh, his worshippers would have these feasts where the goal of the feast was, was, was to drink so much to just get so inebriated that you just released yourself from all your worries and cares and inhibitions. And when that happened, things deteriorated into wild orgies marked by unbridled indulgence of base passions. But then notice how Paul ends the list. He says, and the like, which is his way of saying this list isn't complete. I mean, he could have gone on to mention gluttony, greed, slander, and a number of other things, but his point wasn't to be exhaustive. He states his point, actually. He says, look, I'm war I just want to warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
Now understand, Paul is not saying that Christians are perfect. He's not saying that as, as Christians will never lapse into uh, any one of these behaviors. He's not suggesting that a Christian who gets drunk one night or who experiences jealousy or loses their temper and flies off the handle, uh, that they're going to lose their salvation or God's not going to love them any less. He's not saying that. What he is saying is that any life, any life that is habitually characterized by these kinds of sinful traits, attitudes, and behaviors reveals a lack of inner transformation. That's what he's telling us. Reveals a lack of inner transformation, which may mean the person never received God's spirit, which means they haven't experienced God's grace, which means they haven't come to faith in Jesus, you see. Paul is simply describing here life lived by human effort, led by the sin nature. But then he says, here's the alternative. Here's the contrast between what our sin nature produces, the bad fruit, and what the spirit of God produces. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit, i.e. the external byproduct of supernatural internal transformation, is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. And when you hear those lists... I'm, I'm, in, I'm just wondering, what is your initial reaction to them? You know, we, where do you fit in? What kind of fruit is your life producing on a regular basis? In, in other words, who are you? Who are you deep inside? Who are you? Who do you want to become? Because for me, you know, I really want to be a good person who brings good things out of the goodness stored up in my heart and to mirror my Father in heaven. And if that's true for you then, as well, then, then the final question is, well, okay, how does that happen? How, how do we go from bad to good? You know, how do I become the person God wants me to be? Assuming God has the original designs, knows what he's talking about, knows the way that we're supposed to be, how do I, how do you, how do we get there? Well, I can tell you this, the answer is not self-help. The answer isn't, isn't religion which is all about you becoming a better person by your own efforts and rituals and all that. Because on our own, we can't fix. We cannot fix the, the internal ravages of sin. We can't do it. We need outside help. We need God himself. At one point, Jesus put it this way to his followers. He says, a person needs to be born anew, you know, born from above. In farming terminology, he might have said we need to be replanted. In a, in, a, in a technological, computerized society like ours, Jesus might have said we need to be rewired or we need to be rebooted because we've crashed. You know, however, however it's expressed, the fact remains, Jesus said God himself must change us on the inside. And how does that happen? It happens when a person becomes a Christian, which is a conscious decision. When we make that decision to become a Christian, God begins to restore us to the way we were meant to be. How does, how does that transformation initiate again? It's by faith, you see. When we accept Jesus as Savior, we accept him as the one who lived the perfect life we could never live and died the death we all deserve to die, paying the penalty for our sin, offering us life. When we put our faith in him, when we really do it, there's this internal spiritual transformation that begins and ultimately manifests itself on the outside and how we live. And suddenly you begin to see things differently. You see the world differently. You... You view people differently. You understand your possessions differently. You respond to situations differently. Your perspective on suffering changes. Your, your attitudes change. Your priorities change. 
Instead of bad fruit, you begin bearing good fruit. Some changes are immediate. Others take time. But here's the deal. Look, sin has had a devastating effect on us, all of us. Growing towards spiritual health and maturity is a lifelong deal. Fortunately, we're given the resource we need for the change process. We're given the provision of power, a provision of power. We're given the Spirit of God himself. Jesus promised Peter and John and Matthew and all all the guys, he promised all the men and women who put their faith in him that the counselor, the helper, the Holy Spirit himself would come and not only be with his followers, but actually indwell them. Jesus said the Spirit lives with you and will be in you. He said you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. Here's my Ray K summary. At the moment you place your faith in Jesus, I mean, you, you mean it, you make a commitment, the Holy Spirit infiltrates your heart, your mind, and your life. And he begins to lead and empower you, not only to talk about Jesus, but to be more like him. Not only to share the story of grace, but to live out the story of grace. I.e., the presence and power of the Spirit will transform you from the inside out, and you will bear good fruit. You will. You will. Over the next few weeks, we're going we're to talk more about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, uh, all, of, all of it together and uh, one at a time throughout the weeks. And uh, I don't know if you've thought about this, but this is intriguing to me how these characteristics or these virtues, whatever you want to refer to them as, are are ones that everybody, everybody, Christian, non-Christian alike, everybody find, they find these desirable. Isn't that true? I mean, people look at the first list or they hear the, the list, these, this act, these acts of the sinful nature and they think, man, those aren't things I want my life to be about. I don't want to be like that. I mean, how many parents hope their son or daughter uh, gets engaged and brings home a selfish, immoral, hateful, idolatrous, divisive, jealous, rageful, drunk? I mean, who wa- what parent wants that for their kid? Nobody, Christian or non-Christian, they don't want that. You know, no one wants to, to be that guy, that girl. No one wants a friend like that. No one wants to be that. No one. Why? Because something down deep in our humanness tells us those things are messed up. They're wrong, they're hurtful, they're destructive, they're unhealthy. But when people look at the second list, or they hear the second list, everybody knows there is something about it that resonates with us. Something in our humanness says, those things are right, and they're healthy, and they're beneficial. It's who we're meant to be as human beings, men and women who are loving, and joyful, and peaceful, and patient, and kind, and good, and faithful, and gentle, and self-controlled. I mean, across the board, we all agree on it. Not only do we respect those virtues, we desire them in ourselves. But here's the deal. If left to ourselves, to our own sin nature, <laughs> that first list will dominate our lives. And the only, the only way to live out the second, to experience real change, produce good fruit, become the kind of people we know we're meant to be, is by the grace of and power of God's Spirit, who comes to us, who indwells us when we place our faith in Jesus. Faith in Jesus. That's where the transformation begins. Has it begun in you? I hope so. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, it's... uh, Sometimes it's hard for us to admit, but the reality is we tend to walk through life uh, 
lacking some self-awareness. We live in a, 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 to a degree of denial about who we really are. It's, it's kind of funny. We have these cameras. We take selfies all the time, but we really don't look at ourselves. Not, not really. And yet Jesus said, it's an important thing to do. Spiritual self-assessment. Breaking through the denial. Um, because good trees bear good fruit. Bad trees bear bad fruit. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us the courage um, to be honest about who we are deep down inside. You'd give us the courage to take a look at that. You'd give us the ability to stop looking at everybody else and judging everybody else in order to make ourselves feel better. But just to look inward and, uh, and to be honest about who we are. And then to think carefully about what our life is producing on the outside. Those things that are hurtful and destructive, unhealthy, um, divisive. Or are we, are we demonstrating and exhibiting love and peace and patience, the fruit, the fruit of your spirit at work in us? Our Father, we recognize that change on the outside has to come from change that happens on the inside. Because of your power, because of your grace, we experience in Jesus. It changes us from the inside out. And so we want to we express our love for you this morning um, and give you thanks for all that Jesus has done for us. In his name we pray. Amen. You know, here's the thing. It's easy to sing those words, right? Jesus, you know, it's all about you and these kind of things. It's a beautiful song. It's easy to sing. But the question is, is it true? Is, is it true? And um, I, think, I think we as Christians in America need, need to stop pointing the fingers at everybody else and take a long, hard look at ourselves, at our own lives, and how we're living, what's going on inside. Um, and so over the next few weeks, we're going we're gonna to work together, and we're going we're to try and do that together, okay? Uh, we're going to look at the fruit of the Spirit and what it means in practical basis and decide whether or not it's part of who we are. But uh, I, I would encourage you over the next few weeks as we do this uh, to do it with some friends, you know, to get together to talk about this after we discuss a topic. We have a lot of life groups that are forming. We encourage you to be part of that uh, because here's the deal. I can, I can say, oh man, I'm, I am a really nice, loving, perfect kind of person. You know, I, I, can, I can live in self-denial, but if I'm talking about this with others, it's a little bit harder because people can speak into that and say, man, you're not, you're, not, you're not quite as nice as you think you are, or what, you know, <laughs> whatever. But here's the thing. I want you to avoid looking at the first list and saying, oh, yeah, witchcraft, I don't do that. I'm good. I'm good to go, right? Because there's some other things in there we need to look at. Envy, hate, jealousy, factions in the church, divisions, <laughs> anger. Those are things we need to think about and be honest about.
So I hope you'll join me. This is not just about you. This is about me too. We're going to do this together, okay? So why don't you stand with me? And here's the deal. If you're here this morning and, and uh, we're talking about this whole idea of being a Christian, you understand these things of the Spirit, you don't, you don't go after them and get them so that God will love you. No, 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 no. God loves you. He has extended grace to you in Jesus. And when you accept Jesus, God's Spirit begins to produce those things in you as an evidence of His work. Okay? So we're going to talk more about it in the weeks to come. If you have questions about this or questions about what it means to be a Christian, some of our prayer team folks will be up here in the front. Feel free to come down and talk with them. Or if there's something going on in your life you just want to pray about, they're here for you as well. Okay? Let me pray for us and then we're done. Oh, by the way, don't forget to come back tonight. It's going to be a lot of fun, 4 o'clock. It's going to be a little warm, but uh, I heard a rumor we're trying to get some wet stuff for kids. Okay? The firemen are coming. Maybe we'll get them to hose them off or something. But uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. So come back at 4. Okay? We'll have a blast. Let me pray for you. Now, Lord, as we go our own way this morning, uh, I pray that we would, we would go as a reflective type people. We'd be honest about who we are, or at least you'd help us to move in that direction. And uh, in, in order that we might live our lives in such a way that we point people to Jesus. That's what our world needs. That's who our world needs. And so may we be that kind of people this week. May your hand of grace and peace rest on your church. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being here. We'll see you at four.